following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. This summer, Aaron and I are taking the kids tent camping in Wyoming for, for four days. Um, I'm terrified. I'm not terrified of bears. I'm not terrified of mountain lions. I'm not terrified of fixing meals over an open flame. Uh, I'm terrified of sleeping on the ground for four nights in a row. I'm just too old to lay on the ground for four nights in a row. And, and here's the thing, like, before I make it sound too we're taking an air mattress. Like, Aaron and I are sleeping on the air mattress. The kids are sleeping on the ground. But even sleeping on the air mattress on the ground, I, I don't know how my body's going to respond to four nights in a row. I like the indoors. I like my bed. I like my blankets. Like, I like sleeping indoors. And I'm seriously just not sure I'll get any sleep for four straight nights. And really, if you trace that back, my real concern is this. I won't have the peace I'm used to. I won't have that peace, that comfort to sit, breathe, relax, drift off to sleep, and sleep well. Peace is a valuable commodity, isn't it? Everybody wants a peaceful existence. I don't think there's a single one of us who's like, I don't want any peace in my life. I don't need that stuff. No, we, we, we like peace. Everybody wants a peaceful existence, but peace can be hard to come by when we live in this volatile, angry, hostile, contentious, and broken world. Amen? Yes. Amen. And while we who call upon the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we know that we serve a God of peace. Even knowing that, we still struggle to live in the center of that peace, don't we? So the question becomes, if this God that I know, that I love, that I serve is a God of peace, how do I know and live in that peace? We've seen in, in Genesis 26, 27, and 28 how Jacob has stolen the, the blessing from his father. And he saw his brother and said, I'm going to kill you. And so Isaac sends his son Jacob away from Beersheba where they're living. And as Jacob leaves Beersheba, he starts this journey back to where his family is from. And on the way, he's going to stop and he's going to camp out. And at this campsite, God is going to offer a unique experience to bring peace to Jacob's journey. And through this blessing, we are going to see three avenues through which God grants his peace to us. And the first is this. God gives peace through his presence. God gives peace through his presence. So let's start this. Verses 10, and, and we're just going to look through the first half of verse 13 in Genesis 28. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from the place and put it there in his head. And he lay down in that place. And he dreamed 
A stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching to the sky. And God's angels were going up and down on it. The Lord was standing there beside him. Stop right there. God gives peace through his presence. Okay, again, Isaac has sent Jacob from Beersheba, where they live, and he said, go up to, to Paden Aram, and the city of, of Herod, to find a God-honoring wife. This is the, the mission of Jacob's journey, to go find a God-honoring wife. Why to Paden Aram? Well, if we go all the way back to Genesis 11, we understand the, the journey of, of Abram. Abram and his family lived in, in the land of Ur. And they left Ur and they traveled up to Paden Aram. And they planted this city that they called Haran. And it's there that, that Abram lives when God calls him to go to the promised land of Canaan. In Genesis 12, when God says, go to this land I'm going to show you. He's calling him out of Paden Aram. Out of the, land, the, the city of Haran. To go down to the promised land of Canaan. Of Canaan. And this is where Abraham lives. This is where Isaac lives. This is where Jacob lives. So now, now Isaac says, Jacob, go back to our homeland, go back to where our family lives. He's God honoring people and find a wife. And so he begins the journey. And along the way, he stops at this campsite. He stops to rest. It's dark. He falls asleep with a rock at his pillow. Sounds comfortable. And God appears to him in a vision. And in this vision, there's this staircase. Some of your translations may say a ladder. The Hebrew word used here is not incredibly specific as to what exactly it is. So whether your Bible translation says ladder or says stairway, it's all the same. It's a way to get up and down. And on this ladder or the staircase are God's angels. They're going up and down, up and down the staircase, up and down the staircase, while God stands Beside him. Okay, again, some of your translations may say above it. Some of your translations may say God stands above the staircase. Some say God stands beside him. With the Hebrew language, the word here is just, it could be translated as him, her, it. Right? It could be translated as beside, around, above. And so when we're looking at this thing, you could look at two different translations and be like, well, doesn't the Hebrew author know what he's trying to say? Yes, he does. We don't know how to exactly translate that word every time. But the point is, God is watching the activity that's happening. And he's going to speak to Jacob. So, the, the angels are going up and down. Right? Their movement shows God's divine work in the world, in what's happening... Right? God is the one observing, watching, sending his angels from heaven to earth and back and forth to do his divine work in the world that he created. And it is God who is standing by watching, whether he's standing at the top of the stairs or standing next, next to Jacob. doesn't matter because God is sovereignly ruling over everything that is happening. He is directing. He is in charge. He is in control. So, Jacob falls asleep, has this vision. God's at work. He's doing something, and God is in control. God sees what's going on. We'll stop for a second. Okay. Jacob, at this point in the story, his brother Esau is trying to kill him. 
Jacob's been sent by his father to a place he's never been to find a wife he's never met. He's going at, at the command of a father he doesn't know if he'll ever see again. A mother that, as you study the story, he probably never sees again. He's only about 50 miles, so maybe two or three days of walking, maybe 50 miles into a 500-mile journey, and he's all alone. Put yourself in Jacob's sandals for a second. Put all of that weight on your shoulders. What's your mood? What's your psychological state? He probably feels a lot like Elijah will feel when we come upon the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. In 1 Kings 18, God has given Elijah this great victory over the prophets of Baal. He's seen God do this incredible thing that only God can do by consuming this altar and all this water and all the offerings on it and just go up in a blaze of glory. And then he strikes down these 400 prophets of Baal. The beginning of 1 Kings 19, it says, And Jezebel, the queen, who likes these prophets of Baal, threatens to kill Elijah. She says, Elijah, I'm going to take you out. What's it say Elijah's state is? It says he's afraid. Elijah is afraid. And he runs. And Elijah's one day into the wilderness when you come upon 1 Kings 19, verse 4. And what happens? It says, Elijah went a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough. Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He says, yeah, you've given me victories. Yes, I've seen you move. But God, I can't take any more of this. I'm, I'm alone. I'm afraid. I'm in the wilderness. What's God do? God shows up with Elijah. He speaks to Elijah. He says, rise, eat. Follow me. Do what I've called you to do. And then he gives him a partner in ministry in Elisha. God showed up for Elijah. Just as God showed up for Jacob when he was terrified in the wilderness, feeling beaten down, not sure what lies ahead, God shows up and gives him the vision saying, I'm in control. I am with you. God showed up for Jacob. God showed up for Elijah. And God always shows up for you and me. Listen, God knows where you've been. God knows what you face ahead. God knows the, the shame, the grief, the doubt, the arrogance, the ignorance, the insecurity, just the fear that has you on the run. But he also continues to walk with you. He never leaves us alone. He never leaves us to try to deal with our grief on our own, to deal with that fear. He gives us his presence to grant us peace. In Philippians chapter 2, second half of verse 5 through verse 7, we get a very familiar command. Right? If we jump to verse 6, and a lot of times we start at verse 6. And verse 6 of Philippians 2 says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Right? We, we jump to the command. Don't worry about anything, right? Okay. If you look back at the second half of verse 
Verse 5. You know what the last four words of verse 5 are? The Lord is near. How is it that you cannot worry about anything by that in everything through prayer, petition, thanksgiving, present your request to the Lord? Because the Lord is near. He is not far. He has not left you. He is there. And because he is near, because his presence is with you and me, we can overcome worry and doubt and fear and the struggles and the battles of life. <coughs> what happens when we do that? Philippians 2 verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It starts with the presence of the Lord. Never forget the presence of the Lord. See, God delivers us. Our job is to trust Him. Our job is to know that His presence never departs from us and it will always give us the peace we need in the moment that we face. So when we feel that need for peace, when we feel that maybe that peace has started to escape us a little bit, where do we turn? Do we turn to the stuff around us? Do we turn to what I think is going to get this done? Do we turn to the presence of our God? God gives peace through his presence. God's presence grants peace. We continue next, we see that God gives peace through his promises. The second avenue of God's peace is through his promises. Second half of verse 13 through 15, and which I'm going to go back, and I'm going to start at the, the, the start of verse 13. It says, The Lord was standing there beside him, saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out toward the west, the east, the north, and the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God gives peace through his promise. In the vision of the stairway, the Lord doesn't just say, here's a vision. He then speaks to Jacob. And, and what he says is just reiterating the promise he has given to Jacob's family. God's promise here are the, the same, maybe not word for word, but are, are definitely the exact same as the declarations he gave to, to, to Abraham and to Isaac. If we go back to God's initial promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3, he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now, Isaac, in Genesis 26, verse 4 and 6, he says, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky. I will give your offspring all these lands, and all the nations of earth will be blessed by your offspring. Because Abraham listened to me and kept my mandate, my commands, my statutes, and my instructions. Do you hear the, the connection? God says the same thing. He says, I made this promise to Abraham. I made this promise to your father, Isaac. I made this promise to you. And what he's doing is he's telling the Israelites in the Exodus who are now wandering in their own wilderness out of, after coming out of Egypt, saying, listen, I made this promise. I keep my promises. Trust me. It's the peace of God's promises. 
Now here in his promise to Jacob, he gives him an additional promise in verse 15. And he says, not only am I going to bless the world through your family, make you numerous, not only am I going to give you this land, he says, I will bring you back to this land. God says, I know you're not sure about this journey that lies ahead. God says, I know you got questions. God says, I know you can't see what I'm doing. And there's no way you will ever understand fully what I am doing right now. But he says, listen, I'm going to bring you back here. I'm going to show you that I take care of you. God's promise ensures Jacob that he will not only survive the journey to Haran, he will not only survive this mission that lies ahead, but he will return to his homeland. I don't know how many of you get paid electronically. Maybe you don't get an actual pay stub. I, I don't get a pay stub. My, my paycheck goes directly into the bank twice a month. You know how often a month I check my bank account to see if the paycheck is there? Zero. You know how many times I've checked? Probably in the last, I mean, I've been here eight and a half years, so eight and a half years to see if the paycheck may have been there? Zero. You know why? Because it's always made it there. I have no reason to think it's going to all of a sudden stop. I trust. I've seen it. I've seen it delivered. Why do, I need to, why do I need to check? Why do I need to double check? Why do I need to have a thought in my head of, well, I don't know if it's going to make it this month or not. I trust that it'll be there. Through Jacob, God reminds his children of the faithfulness of his promises. He passes the torch of his blessing from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and from Jacob to his children the Israelites, and from his children, the Israelites, to you and to me. And as we think about this family that we've, we've been talking about over the last several weeks, the family of Isaac and, and of Jacob, we see a family that is deeply flawed, right? We see deeply flawed individuals who are sometimes very scared of the people and the things going on around them. But even through that, we continue to see the glory and the majesty of our faithful God at work. We see our God working in and through these broken, flawed people. Because it's all about the work of the Lord. It's not about the people He's using. See, peace in our lives... The peace that God gives us to fulfill the calling that he's given us will never be found by us being better people or by us accomplishing more in this life. You've heard me say this many times and I will say it many, many times more. No raise will ever make you feel financially secure. No promotion will make you feel like your direction in life has been fulfilled. No marriage, no friendship, no children will give you a sense of meaning that has somehow been missing in your life until this point. Those can all be good things. Those can all be great things. Those can all be incredible blessings that God has given you. But they won't last. Because they're not meant to last. Because they're things of this world. 
Remember what John says in 1 John 2, verse 15. He says, don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Right? And what he's saying is not, hey, turn your back on everybody who doesn't love Jesus and just ignore them because they're terrible sinners and you're better than that. No, what he says is, where are you seeking your hope, your joy, your fulfillment? Where are you looking for that peace in your life? Is it the stuff of this world? Because it's not going to work. when we rest in the promises of our good and faithful God. Only when we rest in the promises of a faithful God do we find peace. Because only the promises of a faithful God are 100% fulfilled 100% of the time. So where do we seek that quiet peace in the noise of life? Do we look at our stuff do we look at our accomplishments? Do we look at our families? Do we look at our church? Or do we look to the promises of a good and faithful God? God's presence and his promise leads us to the third avenue of peace. We see that God gives peace through his power. God gives peace through his power. We finish up this passage, Genesis 28. Verses 16 through 22. It says, When Jacob awoke from this dream, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and set it up as a marker. He poured oil on top of it and named the place Bethel, though previously the city was named Luz. Then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me and watch over me during this journey that I'm making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house. And I will give you a tenth of all that you gave me. God gives peace through his powers. Jacob awakes in the morning and, and thinks about this dream. He wakes in awe and he immediately responds to what he has seen and heard. He sets up a marker. He takes that rock that he had used as a pillow and he sets it up as a marker and he anoints it with oil. This is to signify the offering that he is making to God. It's a worshipful act that is then completed with his vow to give God a tent to make his tithe, his offering to the Lord. He says, I, I, I worship you and I praise you and I give you the best of what I have. And then he names the place Bethel, and, and Bethel is a word that literally means house of God. This becomes a, a place of worship through the rest of Israel's history. In fact, as you read through the rest of the Old Testament, you'll see the, the name of Bethel come up over and over again as a place where, uh, where, the, where the Israelites went to worship, where they sought God's um, wisdom where they sought refuge so he does all this and then he makes a vow to the Lord now let's be honest if you read this, this vow that Jacob makes to the Lord it sounds a little bit odd doesn't it you just read that again if you're like me you read that and you're like really? because here's what it sounds like to me it sounds like Jacob says, okay, God, if you'll do enough good stuff for me, then you can be my God. That's your, that's your treasure, Lord. 
You get to be my God. If you'll just provide for me and do everything I want. And, and if you, you study this ver these verses, you'll find some commentaries and, and some, some biblical scholars who want to try to make this sound different than it actually is. Make it sound like, no, he's actually making this commitment. Like, he's steadfast. He is not. If you look at his life, if you look at his history, if you look at the, just the whole story of his entire family, it's easy to see that this is not a man who is steadfast in his faith, and he is confident in what God is doing. He still lacks a certainty. He doesn't get the big picture. Yeah, he hears the promise of God, and that's reassuring to him. Yeah, God's promising me this. Okay, I can do this. Okay, but, but God, are you really, are you really going to come through? Anybody ever have that feeling? You ever pray to the Lord and have that, God, I know you can do this. He lacks this certainty in the Lord. But God's powerful display gives him the peace that is necessary for him to go on and take the next step in faith. He doesn't have it all figured out. He doesn't have it nailed. He is not a pillar of faith in the Lord at this point in his life. But God, by God's power, gives him exactly what he needs to be ready to take the next step and to take the next step. And the question for you and me in that is, okay, so where do we draw our peace and our confidence to take the next step in our lives? Because I don't know about you, but I'm still not at the place where I've got it all figured out. And I am just a pillar of the Christian faith in that I always trust God with every single moment of my life. And I never have any doubts and I never have any questions. I'm not that guy. So where do we look in those moments? Again, that strength comes from knowing the peace of a powerful God. You want to see a great picture of this? It's one of the cooler stories. Well, I probably shouldn't say this out loud. It's one of the cooler stories in the New Testament. Because there's a lot of really cool stories in the New Testament. There's a lot of really cool ones in the Old Testament too. Scratch that. Just ignore me. <laughs> Remember when the disciples are out on the boat and Jesus hasn't come with them. The storm comes up. They see Jesus walking across. And Peter, of course, is like, Jesus? Hey, Jesus, if it's you, call me to, call me to come to you. He's like, all right. right Jesus, is, Jesus is just hanging out, strolling on the way. He's like, all right, come on out. Come join me. I can just picture Peter, like, standing at the edge of the boat, looking like, you, you really said me? All right, you walk into it, Jesus. Here we go. And kind of, seem just kind of tapping the water at first. Is it, we sure? And, and then, then kind of, like, one foot on the boat, one foot on the water, like, all right. All right, Jesus, here I come. He lifts out a little leg on the side of the boat. And he's walking. He's staring at Jesus, and he's just walking. And then something happens. I don't know what he hears. I don't know if he catches something out of his peripheral, but all of a sudden he starts noticing the waves and the wind and everything going around him. And what's he do? Takes his eyes off Jesus. And what happens? I can't whistle. He immediately begins to sink. 
In Matthew 14, verse 29 through 30, he says, Peter started walking on the water, coming to Jesus, but when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and began to sing and cried out, Lord, save me. Again, with his focus on Christ, Peter had the confidence to keep walking and to keep doing what God had called him to, even though he physically, personally wasn't capable of it. But when he took his eyes off the greater power, right? Nobody's saying that storm wasn't powerful. But the reality is, Jesus is more powerful. When he took his eyes off the greater power, he began to sink. God gives us his power and gives us an understanding of his power to move us in his calling. Again, our job is not to be more powerful than the wind and the waves around us. Our job is to trust the one who is more powerful than the wind and the waves around us. God gives us his peace through his presence, through his promises, through his power. Now, great, right? Wonderful. Now I know some stuff about God's, God's peace. But what do I do with that, right? How do we walk the avenues of God's peace? Because it does us absolutely no good to look at all this and go, yep, God's a God of peace and God gives us peace and he's given us everything we need. Awesome. And I'm terrified of what's coming up in my life. I, I don't know where to go with this next step. I feel defeated. I feel worn out. I have no peace. What do I do with this? Let me give you three ways to help us walk in that peace that God has promised, that God will give, that God has offered through his presence, through his promises, and through his power. And it starts with this. Intentionally prioritize. You want to walk these avenues of God's peace. Right? Again, this is not if we do these things, we have peace. No, it's if we do these things, we can understand the peace that God gives. So how do we grasp that peace? It starts by intentionally prioritizing. What is most important in your life? We're in church, so everybody says Jesus, right? Yeah, it's Jesus. Is it? Is it Jesus? Is it work? The family? I didn't say, what do you want to be most important to your life? I didn't say, what do you think should be the most important in your life? But what is the most important? Because we can say whatever we want. We are really good at saying the right things. But how we act, how we live, says more about what we truly believe than what we say and what we claim to know. What is really important to us? How do we figure that out? Because right, I, I, I'm going to say Jesus, but what does my calendar say? What fills up my days? What does my, my bank account say? Where does my money go? What do I support? What does my life say? When we stop and we go, okay, what's, what's really important to us? Here's, here's, if you hear that and go, well, I know it's Jesus. I'm not sure if it actually is Jesus. How do I figure this out? Here's what you do. Sometime this week, sit down with a pad of paper, write down all the things that are important in your life. Write them all down. And then number them. What do you think should be most important? 
And then on another piece of paper, write them down in the order they should be. And then here's the trick. Take that piece of paper with where your priorities should be and put it somewhere where you'll see it. Right? Don't keep it in a pad of paper. Don't wad it up and put it in a book somewhere. No, post it. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Put it in the dashboard of your car. Somewhere where you see it, where you are confronted every single day with what you know should be the priority in your life. Because it has to start here. We have to have this recognition of what is most important and, and what is it that, that I know needs to be the most important. It starts there. An intentional, intentionally prioritized. But then this. Number two, slow down. Slow down. I have never seen a NASCAR race and thought, that looks peaceful. <laughs> Has never happened. We have to be able to slow down to accept and to enjoy God's peace or it will zip by us at 180 miles an hour as we go screaming down the track. And if we know our priorities and we know what we are looking to make our priorities, it is so much easier to slow down. It's so much easier to say no to things in life that pull us away from our priorities. The things that work against the true priority in our life. It makes it easy for us to look at good things and, and say no to activities, to say no to committees, to say no to parties, to say no to work projects, to say no to Bible studies. Yes, I said say no to a Bible study in church. Because if you're just doing one more thing because you're like, it's a Bible study, I should really do it. No. I'm not saying that should be your first no. But there comes a time that we slow down to where we can truly make the priority that needs to be the priority, the priority in our lives. Because it's really easy to fill up on good stuff and run so fast. And, and listen, I'm not even talking about you young parents who have kids running in every other direction in sports and activities and all that. You can sit at home all day long and not slow down. Because you can let your mind run to, oh, this book or this TV show or this conversation or that. And you can be not even moving from your couch in a whole day and not be slowed down. So we make these intentional priorities and then we slow down. And last is this. Breathe. Breathe. You've got that intentional priority of Jesus Christ, of your walk with the Lord. And you slowed down, ordered everything in your life around that. And you think we need to sit back and we need to learn to rest in God's peace. Knowing that we can't achieve that peace, we can only receive it. And listen, everything in our flesh will fight against this. Everything in our flesh will fight against just taking a breath, resting in the peace of God, because there's something we have to do. There's something we have to finish. There's something else that we have to do now. There's the next thing. There is more. There is more. There is more. There is more. Keep going. Get something else done. Go out there. Go over there. Do this. Do that. Go. Stop it.
our God. The God of the Bible, the God who created the heavens and the earth from nothing, the God who made every tree, every plant, every bird, every fish, every animal, the ground, the God who created us to live in perfect union with him, the God who knows the depth of our selfishness, our brokenness, our sinfulness, the God who sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live the only perfect life so that he could sacrifice himself on a cross to redeem us from the penalty of our sin before he would rise from the grave three days later delivering a salvation and a, 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 a redemption that we could never earn, that we could never gain, that we could never achieve by our best efforts. The God who reigns now and forevermore over his kingdom, a kingdom that will be enjoyed for all of eternity by those who confess with their mouths and believe in their hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. That God is a God of peace. That God gives us everything we need. That is a God who offers his peace to his people through his presence, his promises, and his power. It's a complete glorious and magnificent power that we can't come to on our own, that we can't create by our own achievements, that we can't enjoy by just striving a little harder. God's peace is ours when we remember that Jesus Christ alone is our God, our Savior, and our King when we slow down to stop and enjoy what He provides. And when we rest in that joy, that hope, that peace, that fulfillment, that satisfaction, by surrendering our lives to Him. Church family, may we enjoy God's peace today. Let us set aside the worry, the work, the false wisdom of the world around us, and in obedience and celebration, let God alone be God. And as we do, may we enjoy His unparalleled love, grace, Mercy, forgiveness, and peace. And let us show the world what it looks like to live in true, magnificent peace. That they might seek to know our Jesus. And that we might be ready to share the only truth of salvation. That there is no salvation apart from the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, you are good. You are good. Your love, your grace, and your mercy are overwhelming. So Lord, we thank you for the fact that you have called us your children and you have welcomed us into your family. And that as we live in the midst of a crazy, chaotic world, there's peace to be found. Not by us doing more or trying harder. But there's peace to be found by our submission, our surrender to you and to you alone. And today as we come before you, as we think about this blessing of peace that we have, may our response be like that of Jacob, who awakes in awe who you are and what you have done. He puts his marker down. He gives you his entire life. When we come to you in gratitude and surrender, when we give you our lives,
not because our lives are some great treasure that we have made so incredible that you really need it. But because our lives are broken and flawed and in need of a Savior, by faith, surrender to you, you have offered everything we need for salvation. So Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you the top of our lives. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.